And hear now the word of the Lord. Your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Your sins are entirely forgiven for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's read the scripture for this morning and then dive right in. The Easter Gospel from St. Matthew. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women turned away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. He is risen. Jesus lives. That, of course, is the good news. That is the gospel. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus lives. Now, I have a confession to make. The sermon I'm about to preach, (laughs) I preached already on Easter morning just a few weeks ago. But, you know, if a pastor tells you that they don't have any favorite sermons, they're lying. (laughs) This is a favorite sermon of mine. I maybe do this sermon once a year at some point, maybe not even Easter, but I just just love it, so I love to give it. And uh, we'll give it again and again and again, I hope, until the day I die. Um... I hope to be able to keep preaching until I die. One of those uh, things where old soldiers don't die in bed. Old preachers don't die out of the pulpit. I'd love to die in the pulpit. (laughs) 
so to speak, if God so grants me. But I preached this sermon already, so you're getting a secondhand sermon, but firsthand good news. He is risen. Now, I have a goal this morning, which is that you grow in confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you leave this morning and you're still going, "Mm," then I will have failed and the Holy Spirit will be going, oh, I'm grieved. (laughs) Because if there's anything we should be and need to be and can be confident in is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, So let's dive right into this. One thing the gospel, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all agree on is he is risen. There are different stories that uh, different gospels emphasize, um, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot in common, although they each have things in them that are unique to them. Uh, But they all have this. The women went to the tomb Easter morning and found it what? Empty. And that is the great mystery. That is the great mystery. Now, I got to tell you, every time in the New Testament the word mystery is mentioned, it always is followed by, which God has now revealed. (laughs) So it no longer is a mystery. It is something that God has made manifest. But at the time, when they go to the tomb, it's empty. And for those who don't know Jesus, it remains a mystery. But that's the singular fact of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that the grave was empty. How did it become so? How did it become so? Well, it was the early proclamation of the church that it was empty for a reason, and that reason was he is risen. That's one explanation. That's the Christian explanation. That's the explanation that you have believed and just recently confessed is that uh, he is risen, and that's the reason why the grave was empty. There were other explanations, and even down to the modern day, there are some people who allege different things about uh, this event. But the event uh, is explained by Christians as a resurrection. Now, one of the explanations, probably the most, uh, the oldest one, other than the Christian one, the other one is that the disciples stole the body, that the soldiers at the tomb were asleep. And while they were sleeping, the disciples stole the body. So let's just examine that. Let's be forensic detectives, if you will, and just examine that allegation. The disciples stole the body while the soldiers were sleeping. Now, a soldier on sentry duty sleeping is a good thing? No. That's not a good thing. That is not supposed to happen, especially when they were warned ahead of time. You'd better put soldiers at this tomb because the disciples may come, and that was reported in the Gospels too, that the disciples may come and steal the body. So the priests had gone to Pilate and said, please post a guard 
because we're afraid that this imposter, this messianic imposter uh, claimed that he would come back from the dead and we don't want the disciples to steal the body and then claim that he's been raised. We don't want that to happen. So please post a guard. And Pilate said, okay, done. Posted a guard. So knowing that, they had forewarning about that. What is the actual likelihood that they would have just fallen asleep on on duty, on sentry duty. Now, they may have the soldiers, just a common, ordinary soldier, not having the same urgency as the priests and elders, might have said, yeah, this is all just a a wild goose chase. This is chasing after wind. Let's just take a nap. They were overcome by sleep and fell asleep. Maybe that's not very likely. These are professional soldiers. But let's just, and there were several of them, so that for all of them to fall asleep, unlikely, possible, I suppose, but how likely is it that the disciples might have slipped in there quietly, not waking anybody up, rolled the stone away without making any noise, and sequestered the body out of the tomb and carried it off? it gets a little more unlikely, you know, the further you examine that. It just gets a little bit more, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's how that would have happened. Let's look at it from a different point of view, too. How were these disciples uh, at the Last Supper? Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And what did the disciples all ask? Each one of them. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And they all swore it would never be me. Peter said, I will never desert you or betray you or deny you. I will never. And Jesus said to Peter, before the cock has crowed twice, you'll deny me three times. (laughs) You don't know your own heart. You make a promise in the morning and by the evening you've already broken it. You know, you don't know your own self. So they go off to the garden and it's Judas who is the betrayer. But what does Peter do? He denies him in the courtyard. What do the other disciples do? They run. They hide. They're afraid. They don't want to... uh, expose themselves to the same risk that Jesus has just been arrested for. And so they run and they hide. What would we call people who do such things? (laughs) Cowards. They're on the battlefield and they desert. They head for the back of the line. They dive into the trenches. They're not going to go over the hill into the machine guns. Absolutely not. So, what's to explain the remarkable change in the disciples' character following that Easter morning? So much so that you know every single one of the disciples save John died a martyr's death. John died of old age. All of the rest 
and, and a lot of that is supported by just, just sort of legend, but their legend says that they each died a martyr's death. We know more about Peter and Paul's death. Peter died upside down on a cross because he said to his tormentors, I don't deserve to die the same way as my Lord because I had denied him and he died upside down on a cross. Now, if they had entered into a conspiracy, because that's the, uh, the explanation of these soldiers is that the disciples stole the body, so there was this conspiracy to steal the body and then for the rest of their lives to keep silent about it even while being tortured. How likely is that? That one of them might have said, stop, please stop torturing me. We stole the body and we've been lying about it all these years. And here's where the body is. (laughs) Never happened. It's never alleged. These soldiers allege this to the priests and elders that the disciples stole the body. And interestingly enough, it's never heard of again. Now, you'd think that if the disciples stole the body and then there's a great hullabaloo made about it down the road subsequently, that the chief priests and elders would have uh, searched for that body. They would have said, you know, let's put an end to this uh, Galilean uprising, this messianic pretender's story, and, and go out and find the body and put this thing to rest. Never happened. Never happened. There was never a search party. There was never a, a great investigation. Uh, let's find this body and put an end to this. It was a quick excuse story that was posed. And then they moved on. And then they moved on. So what we have to explain is how then did the disciples go from being cowardly to courageous? So bold that they gave their lives for this pretense. Doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? It makes much more sense if they believe to say, that they believed this was true. That he had been raised. And that had become, by the way, the proclamation. So that, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you haven't read this in a while, this is, I love this scripture. Paul is writing, and it's, it's one of those letters that comes pretty early within 20 years of, of the Easter story, somewhere maybe around 50 AD, if Jesus lived to be 30, uh, then it, his, his death and resurrection were around 33 BC or 80. And so uh, this is not terribly long afterwards. Uh, Paul says this, he says, I delivered to you of First importance, what was first given to me. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was raised from the dead according to 
the scriptures three days later and that he appeared first to the disciples, then to Peter, then to over 500 at one time, and last of all, to one untimely born to me. So I want you to follow that sequence. Died, was raised, appeared. There's the gospel. That's just the facts, ma'am. Little Joe Friday dragnet kind of a thing. These are the facts, ma'am. Died, raised, appeared. And that became the Christian gospel. He lives. He lives. Now, how likely is, is it that these cowardly disciples would be so transformed in character as to courageously proclaim this gospel in the face of enormous opposition, both from their fellow Jews and then later from uh, Roman pagans, Gentile pagans? How to explain it? Well, you be the, you be the judge. I explain it because by saying that there was a real transformation because something really happened. <laughs> there was a very real transformation of character from cowardly to courageous because something really happened. They really met Jesus and it became a core, I shouldn't say a core conviction, the core conviction of the Christian message. The core conviction of the Christian message. Now, this is not to say that there weren't uh, other explanations other than the disciples stole the body. Uh, down through the ages, there have been a number of things. And, and I think the more, um, you know, you can almost understand, you know, at, at the time itself that these events were taking place, you can understand, you know, somebody saying, well, it didn't really happen that way. It happened this way. But when you start getting into the 1800s and the 20th century and you have people 2,000 years removed from the event trying to make up excuses, then it just becomes really bogus. It just becomes very disingenuous. So, for example, one of the uh, explanations that kind of came down the pike is that um, it was a hallucination. <laughs> It was, now, this is interesting to me because people have actually said it was, if 500 people saw him at one time, it was a mass hallucination. Well, guess what? Hallucinations aren't contagious like that. <laughs> they aren't. Ask any psychiatrist who's dealt with people who claim to have hallucinations Hallucinations by their very nature are idiosyncratic, meaning they're unique to each individual because of your own unique brain chemistry. So for each of you to have the same hallucination defies science. It doesn't happen. Hallucinations don't happen that way. <laughs> they just don't. Now, uh, I also don't think people genuinely give their lives for hallucinations, you know. Uh, if Jesus 
if it was all wishful thinking, they just wished for. And I have to tell you here, I'm going to share a personal story here of, of, of this. Uh, in my home congregation in California, the Bay Area in California, it, the, the, uh, the, the church that I was ordained in, Our Savior's Lutheran Church in Lafayette, California, used to be a very, very faithful congregation with very, very faithful pastors, but have been part of the same woke movement that has undermined the church message and the gospel, the same thing that you have been part of as former members of the PCUSA. Well, on one Easter morning, this is Easter, the the great festival of the church, Easter, and my mom, who was 90 years old at the time, listened to the Easter sermon by the pastor. And then with another 90-year-old friend, went into the pastor's office after the message, after the service was done, and confronted him and said, do you believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Oh, I'm so proud of my mom. Do you believe in the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And he started to talk, and he was going around and around and around, trying hard not to answer that directly. And she pressed him, yes or no? Do you believe in the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And he finally said, I believe that what the disciples experienced was the fulfillment of their hopes, kind of like a hallucination. It was the, they just hoped so much that Jesus would live again, that that hope translated itself into a message, he is risen. Now, you know what uh, we call that kind of hope? A puff of wind. (laughs) There's nothing to it. It's leaves blown in the wind. It's a nothing burger. (laughs) You know, it's just wishful thinking. My mom quit going to that church and she'd been going there for 40 years. To have a pastor who doesn't believe in the literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, the disciples said we saw him. He talked to us, and he addressed us individually. Peter as an individual, Thomas as an individual. Uh, We met him on the seashore, and he was frying up some fish, and, and we touched him. We saw the scars. Um, the, the women here that we just read about fell at his feet and grasped him by the feet. Not metaphorical feet. <laughs> Not, uh, uh, you know, wishful thinking feet, but real feet. Touchable, tangible, physical feet. Now that's not to say that his resurrection body wasn't special because in his resurrection, resurrected or glorified body, he was able to do things that he hadn't done previously to transport himself 
through closed doors and walls and then across space and time in ways that he hadn't done previously. But if this is a little aside, but I think that's going to be so much fun when we're in our resurrected bodies. We're going to be doing things. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. When we're in our resurrected bodies and the rest of creation is utterly obedient to the will of God. We'll walk on water too. It'll be fun. Well, so much for wishful thinking, uh, hopes that Jesus was raised, you know, that's not the gospel. That's not the Christian message. It isn't. You can, you can say Jesus till the cows come home, but that is not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is he's been raised. <laughs> he lives. Now, one of the other explanations given is just amusing to me, uh, which is that the women went to the wrong tomb. They were overcome by hysterical grief. They had followed this, the, uh, as the soldiers took Jesus' limp body from the cross, they, they followed from a distance. They saw where he was laid. Uh, but then in, come Sunday morning in their grief, they were confused. It was early in the morning. They went to the wrong tomb, found it empty, and ran back to say he's risen. Now, the reason I find that so amusing is then what are we to make of these soldiers who said the disciples stole the body? I mean, somewhere in that garden in, in uh, Jerusalem, in that cemetery, there would have been soldiers still guarding a sealed tomb. <laughs> if the women went to the wrong tomb, then just around the corner, there's some soldiers guarding the right tomb, and it's still got the stone in front of it, and the seal's still there, so what should the priests and elders done? They should have said, the women went to the wrong tomb. Here's the tomb. Here's the body. He's dead. He's not alive. Did they do that? Nah, they didn't do that because that didn't happen. <laughs> the tomb was empty, and an empty tomb just screamed. Something's happened here. What it is isn't exactly clear, to quote Buffalo Springfield, uh, but uh, something's happened here. Now, let's listen to the empty tomb a little closer. This is, to me, just an interesting uh, argument from silence. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter, and we celebrate Pentecost as the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it was a Jewish festival, Pentecost, and it had two uh, antecedents, two reasons for being. Number one was it was the spring harvest. They, they were in a much more mild and Mediterranean climate, and they had two harvest seasons, one in the fall, one in the spring. And this was the spring harvest festival. And people would bring, uh, you know, parts of their harvest to give thanks for, to dedicate. The other one was called uh, Simchat Torah. And what it was is the celebration of the giving of the law, the Torah. Uh, it was believed that when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, the great exodus from Egypt, which is the Old Testament parallel to the death and resurrection of Christ, 
that it took 50 days to get to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so 50 days after Passover, there was the festival of Simchat Torah, the giving of the law. So, the Holy Spirit's given on that day. Peter is preaching. And the scripture says that 5,000 people were baptized that day. Actually, it's a bit sexist because it says 5,000 men were baptized that day. Now, the argument from silence is this. Jerusalem was about a mile square, one square mile. It wasn't very big. It had a lot of people packed into that, as many people as live in Helena, maybe as many as even 150,000 people. So it was very densely populated, but it was only about a mile square, which made the cemetery easily accessible to anybody just on foot. So here's the question. Do you think one of those people might have gone to the cemetery to see if the grave really was empty? (laughs) Uh, It defies logic not to think so. These weren't people any different from you or me. And if you were being presented with this message by Peter, (laughs) this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead, now there's, a, there's both law and gospel. Huh? This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. Do you think one of them might have gone over to the cemetery to see if the grave was empty? They all knew it was empty. It was common knowledge in Jerusalem. This tomb was empty. Why, they didn't necessarily know. Peter explained to them because he's been raised from the dead but they knew it to be empty. It was common knowledge that it was empty. The city was abuzz with this. Just like in Palm Sunday, the Messiah has come. Hosanna to the son of David. They were on razor's edge that whole Passion Week. And then this Messiah had, uh, Messiah in quotes, has been crucified. And now he's being proclaimed as having been raised so much so that 5,000 people were converted on that day. I'm pretty sure those who were converted knew the tomb to be empty. Now, one last other explanation, which is that Jesus revived. This one is just ridiculous, but it, it posits that Jesus wasn't really dead. He just appeared to be dead. He was... Uh, Uh, had lapsed into unconsciousness, even perhaps a coma, and in the cool and dark of the tomb, he was resuscitated and revived. Now, riddle me this. Were the Romans good at killing? (laughs) They were professional killers. They knew what they were doing. They had conquered the entire Mediterranean world. Not because they were good administrators, although they were. Not because they had great high culture, arts and, uh, and so forth, which they did. But because they had strong armies. They knew what they were doing when it came to 
winning victories on the battlefield and killing people. So I'm going to wax a little blunt here, but uh, you know how Jesus died, don't you? We just say a crucifixion, but you know it was probably the, the uh, scourging beforehand that really did the major damage. When somebody's scourged, they're whipped with uh, a short-handled leather thongs, maybe three leather thongs with pieces of stone and metal embedded in the leather. And then uh, there's a post with a ring on it. And uh, if you go like this, you'll feel all the skin on your back tighten. If you're hanging like that, especially if you let your feet go and you're just hanging like that, your skin is as tight as a drum, one of those drums there. And if you're lashed, it's just going to tear. Now, St. Paul, uh, when he's talking about the sufferings that he endured, mentions a special word for scourging, which was called 40 lashes less one. Now, that's a big phrase for in, in English, but in uh, Greek, that was just one word. <laughs> and it meant that you were lashed 40 times less one. 39 times the 40th would have killed you. So you were lashed, scourged, right up to the edge of death. Jesus' whole back torn to pieces. All the skin shredded, all the muscle torn down to the bones. You could see the rib cage. The loss of blood, enormous, enormous. You know that when the Romans crucified people, they usually hung on the cross and died three, four days later of exposure. They died of thirst, they died of shock. That's why they were surprised when uh, Jesus died so quickly. The Gospels say that the soldiers were surprised. So when they, they needed to uh, get the bodies, get the criminals off the cross before the Passover, so they were going to break their legs. You know why? Because they needed their legs to push themselves up to breathe. If you just let your body hang like this and your head down like this, it constricts your breathing. If you break a leg, they can't push themselves up anymore to breathe, and they just suffocate and die. They got to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. Again, were they good at discerning who was alive and who was dead? Yeah, they were professionals at it. So Jesus, they discerned, was dead. So they put a spear in his side instead of breaking a leg. Out came blood and water, which indicates medically that they hit a lung and the water and the blood indicates congestive heart failure. Shock and congestive heart failure. We have Jesus, uh, you know, on the cross. I went to this passion play at, at, uh, in Rapid City, South Dakota, you know, and it's all in King James English, and the guy that was Jesus has got a deep baritone voice and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? Well, if Jesus is on the cross, nailed in his hands, nailed in his feet, 
utterly unable to push himself up to breathe, dying of congestive heart failure. I was with my father when he died of congestive heart failure, and there was just a gurgling sound as all he could do was whisper and gurgle. My God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? I think the Romans knew what they were doing when they killed people. And when he, they put him in the tomb and wrapped him in a shroud, it's just as unlikely as can be to, uh, to seriously consider that he revived. Not only revived, but had the strength then, after all that blood loss, to push the stone away himself. And again, why wouldn't the soldiers then have said that? We were sleeping and we were awakened because we heard the stone being rolled away and lo and behold, here's this cadaverous, bloody corpse of a human being standing there, scared the bejesus out of us. (laughs) And so we ran. Well, they didn't say that. Taking a look at all of these things, and, and maybe you've heard other explanations for what may have happened there, but uh, hallucinations, Jesus revived, women went to the wrong tomb, the disciples stole the body, whatever it is, what you end up with is it takes more faith to believe those reasons than it does to believe the proclamation of the church, which is that he is risen, and he is risen indeed. Now, I'm running a little late here, overtime here, so I want to just uh, kind of conclude with, with this. It makes perfect sense in the scriptures that it should be a resurrection because God said at the beginning, let there be, and there was. This is a creator who created us physically, materially, with bodies and all that is, who loves his creation, who did not want to see his creation utterly given over to death and decay and to the evil one. So it only makes sense that the gospel, which is really about the new creation, should be inaugurated with the resurrection of the Messiah from the dead. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. And the promise is that you shall be too. He's the firstborn and you are the subsequent fruits of that resurrection. You know, while I was waiting for you all to come this morning, I I got a message on my phone from a friend of mine named Mike and he's in the Philippines. And his message was, what do you think about being baptized again? And I said, well, why would you need to be? God made you a promise. Is he not good for his promise? If God promised you the same resurrection that he promised his son, do you think he can be trusted for that? Jesus went to the cross and died believing that promise. And that's all he had was a promise, just like you and me. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for me? And I said to Mike, it should be enough. And if you doubt, then you just need more faith. You don't need another baptism. You need more faith.
pray for faith. Don't pray for another baptism because God's already baptized you and uh, being rebaptized is like saying he didn't mean it. Now, I was baptized on April 1st as a baby. And so I've kind of wondered about that. I had to wrestle through that. Maybe God was just playing an, an April Fool's joke on me and I'll get to heaven and I'll say, ha, gotcha. <laughs> now, he's not that kind of a God. God, in the book of Judges, it says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should dissemble. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And the answer is amen, amen and amen. Now, I asked Angie permission to use her guitar to conclude with the song, and I'm going to try to do that, but I'm going to apologize first because I don't have a voice like hers or many other people. So uh, we'll see if we can do this. You'll have to endure my voice. Secondly, I don't have the words in front of me. This is a little impromptu. So if I pause and hesitate, it's because my mind is racing to recover the lyrics. <laughs> I hope I can do that. It's called Rattle. And if you know uh, the story from Ezekiel, the story of the dry bones, this is kind of based on that, but that's a, a prophecy about the resurrection, isn't it? Saturday was silent, Surely it was through Since when is impossible Ever stopped you Friday's disappointment Is Sunday's empty tomb Since when is impossible Ever stopped you This is the sound of dry bones rattling This is the praise Makes a dead man walk again Saturday. Here I'm trying to recover the lyrics. Pentecostal fire is stirring something new. Since I believe there's a miracle here in this room. Resurrection power, it runs in my veins too. I believe there's a miracle here in this room. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise makes a dead man walk again. Resurrection power. No, I already said that verse. <laughs> All right, here we go. My God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that he wants to just ask the stone that was rolled at the tomb in the garden what happens when God says to move I feel him moving it now I feel him doing it now do it now this is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise makes a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out, I'm going to live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. 
live, live. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. Live, live. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Amen. One last comment. Uh, We're going to have communion. Now, so much about the Christian uh, doctrine is built on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, one of which is this, this meal that we're about to have. We aren't partaking just of bread and wine, are we? We're fellowshipping and communing with our risen Lord. That's fundamental to Christian practice. Baptism is baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ. That's fundamental to Christian practice. The reason that we worship on Sundays, that's the Christian Sabbath. Not the Old Testament Sabbath, the last day of the week, but the first day of the week because Jesus was raised on this day and every Sunday is a mini Easter, (laughs) a time to fellowship with our risen Lord. There is so much about Christian doctrine and practice that is built on this message, he lives. Amen.